Wholesale Link Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's time for Talking with TD. Touchdown, Tennessee! The latest on the two-tone blue with ESPN's Teron Davenport. Put up a shut-up, sir. This is Nashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. I got some lungs, folks, as you can hear. You are now tuned in to Talking With TD. I appreciate each and every one of you for clicking that play button to listen to me do what I love to do and hopefully what you love for me to do, and that's Talk Shop. This week, the Tennessee Titans are coming off a victory over the Atlanta Falcons. I'll put my hand in the air. I was wrong. I thought the Titans were going to lose to the Falcons, but... I stand corrected. And you know what? I'll be wrong in exchange for a Titans win. Not because I'm a Titans fan. Not because I have a horse in the race. But because it's always easier to deal with this team or any team after a win. So, the mood is great in the locker room. It was great after the game as well. Let's get right into it. We're going to talk about the offense and how the passing game found a groove. As Mike Vrabel said, on Monday, I don't hear any fire or, or <laughs> fire Marcus Mariota questions this week. And I really don't think there's any reason to question what Mariota did against the Falcons. Outstanding play. I The thing that I love, well, there are a few things. And we have Corey Davis coming on the Talking With TD offensive breakdown segment. And that play, there were a couple plays to Corey Davis, but that touchdown, the 23-yard touchdown, that is the one that I think was the best throw by Marcus Mariota. And it was the one that I said, and Calvin has said this as well as he's behind the glass making this happen. We've said this over and over again, incorporate more three-step, incorporate more quick passing game. But on this play, Marcus did something that he doesn't really do too often. That's throw a receiver open. That's a little teaser into what Corey Davis is going to talk about when we have him on. But I just think overall, when you look at what Mariota was able to do, just everything was more decisive. The clock was shorter in his mind, and that was a credit to what Arthur Smith did as far as designing and utilizing more quick-hitting passing plays, another thing that we talked about. And the routes were, were a lot quicker. There weren't any long developing routes. And then... I think the A.J. Brown touchdown was a really good one, too. It was He got the ball out of his hand quickly, but they had the play action. It was almost that route, and I have to go back and look at it again because that was basically an RPO because he could have handed it off if he wanted to. You had 45 and 36. They both came in, and you can see a breakdown on this. We started using next-gen stats powered by ESPN. It's a partnership where I'm able to – we – NFL Nation reporters are able to post animated versions of plays. I posted that during the game. Check the timeline. You'll be able to see it. I'll probably retweet it again also. But it just showed the way play action influences. And, Calvin, we've talked about this. It just showed the way play action influences defenses. Now, granted, they were in man defense in this situation, and they had single high. But the way that play action pulled up 36 and pulled up 45, the linebacker and the DB, really opened up a, a beautiful window for A.J., and it was actually stupid how wide open he was. But 
Great throw by Mariota, hit him in stride. Brown, the ability to catch, run through the catch and not slow down, which is something that not all receivers are able to do, believe it or not. But he actually accelerated through it, broke back, and he shows he had to get somewhere she was on. He was able to able to go. And we had we had AJ on this show right here, of course. So uh, I want to get into that. Uh, we're actually going to bring back a quote because his other touchdown was a beautiful over-the-catch, over-the-shoulder catch. It was kind of Willie Mays-like, if if you would say. The baseball reference is because A.J. was drafted by the Padres in the 19th round. I joked with him about Manny Machado and getting that, that contract that, that Machado got, but he said he still he thought about it, but he still loves that he played football. So let's hear what A.J. had to say about the correlation between playing center field playing receiver. I really feel like uh, playing baseball helped me a lot, you know, uh, playing receiver because I have zero problem with tracking the ball in the air, you know. It's just what I used to do. You know, uh, if you could track a little small, little white ball, I feel like you could track the big big brown football. So, I mean, it just made it easy on me, honestly, because a lot of my over-the-shoulder catches, my team would be like, bro, that was a tough catch. But I'm like, that's really simple. But... I don't know. It's just kind of. It just kind of. You just got to play baseball to see what's up. So I like what he said. And another thing, just to kind of add into that, when you're playing baseball, right, and you're fielding uh, uh, an over-the-shoulder catch like that, you have to be aware of where the the fence is, right? Of course, you have the warning track to. Oh, I play baseball, folks. You have the warning track to kind of let you know that you're getting close, but still to be able to have that ability to know where you are on the field and still track the ball is something that really correlated to what he did in this case where he had to know where he was by, you know, not allowing himself to drift out of bounds and then tracking that ball, a little toe-tapping exercise he did at the end of it too. Excellent job there. But we talked about A.J. Brown. We talked about Corey Davis. And the thing that I like about Corey Davis is they got him involved early. He actually had the most targets out of everybody on the team, six targets. Five of those were good. Corey, put your hand out for me. He dropped one of them. So that was me slapping his hand for for that drop. Otherwise, he would have been 100%, six for six on the targets. That was a tough throw. That was another one that Mariota did. That was a beautiful, just the ability to to sneak it in there on that outbreaking route. Excellent job by Mariota. So Mariota definitely, he gets in a high grade for, for this game. I just want to know that defense, the, the Falcons were playing on that third and fifteen. That was such a soft zone, and they were playing it over and over again. It's like, oh, just run right there to to the soft spot, catch the ball, turn up field. Rabel gave Corey Davis credit for that on that uh, third and 15 that he caught, and that was a really good job. It just, I mean, they're playing off. All right, I'm going to take what, what you give me. He caught it at about 13 yards, did what he did, and this, folks, is what I'm saying, why I say Corey Davis is the most talented receiver in the division. He showed the strength at the catch. He was able to carry a guy a couple yards to get the get the first down. Now, precursor or tech, technical clarification, I'm not saying production and talent. I'm talking about talent alone. Obviously, there's no question. Obviously, the best production, most productive receiver in this division is DeAndre Hopkins. T.Y. Hilton comes right after him, and then – you could toss it up to multiple players, but I'm just talking about talent. So just to be clear there, but yeah, Corey Davis and, and, and Marcus, they, they really hooked up. That was a good opportunity for him to showcase what he brings to the table. 
And that 23-yard touchdown, again, just being able to um, stay in bounds and, and make that that catch and turn up field. I mean, that was an excellent job. A lot of that credit goes to Mariota. Of course, Corey Davis did a lot of it, too. We actually broke that play down. That's our, our talking with TD this week, presented to you by Tennessee Tickets. By the way, folks, they'll be back against the Bills. Make sure you go to TennesseeTickets.com and purchase your tickets there. You also get admission into their tailgate. And with that tailgate, you get to talk a little shot with me, 15 minutes, between 1045, 11 o'clock at some period. I'll be over there to talk shop. So that being said, let's go to Corey Davis. What was it that you know allowed this play to happen? I mean, what are you thinking at this point right here? Uh, I got to win at that point. Um, I kind of understood his leverage. It was kind of inside. I knew I had an outbreaking route, um, so I just had to get up on him quick with speed and you know, break out. And protection did a real good job. You can see first thing I noticed is Dion stepping up and you know sticking number forty-five, which um, you know obviously opened it up for the for the pass game. So that was huge. And it looked like that's that's three step, right? Three step and throw for Marcus. Yep. Yep. And he got it out. He got it out early. So that's a lot of trust in, in Tommy that went into that. You have mentioned you guys worked on that a lot. I mean, how consistently were you able to hit like this on that play? I mean, that's a play. You know, we practice that play a lot. Um, and RBAs and in practice. Um, that's one of the things we probably practice that every other day. Um, so I, I kind of knew that we were going to hit it and we had trust in it. So he threw it up there and we made it happen. And him leading you like that, did that kind of help you kind of accelerate out of your break and get on separation? It was, it was a great ball. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he had pressure, so we had to get it out early. And, uh, that's just a good heads-up play by Marcus. Do you think that's an underrated part of his, his game? No doubt. Throwing so. you guys open? For sure. Definitely, because he threw it well before I broke. And then we've talked in the past about getting him involved early. The first play, 14-yard pass from the outbreaking route. And then he targets you six times. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of a sign of, you know, how important it is to get you involved and in what you can give them for getting you involved early and consistently? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, you know, the scheme is going to be the scheme. And um, the coaches um, come with a game plan. Um, we got to trust it and go out there and execute it. What's the last question? What's the uh, thing that really stands out the most to you about Shea Davis' wife? I mean, he's a, he's a physical corner. Um, that's going to be a matchup to watch, too, uh, Trey White against uh, Corey Davis. I'll be watching that. I'm sure Trey White, given how excellent A.J. Brown has in, been in, in spurts, uh, I think he'll probably draw that assignment. But nevertheless, a lot of that wasn't, ne- wasn't going to be possible without some of the things that happened up front. We talked about scheming. And, and allowing the offensive line or allowing the quarterback to get rid of the ball quickly, but the offensive line too. Nate Davis got a tip. Another another guest on Talking With TD, by the way. Uh, tip your hat to him because he played 39, 40 snaps. He really showed the ability, and, and we said coming into this, we said that he was raw. That's one of the things I, I said very, very frequently. I said he's a raw prospect, but he has a lot of skills. And a thing that's really good in my mind, was the way you saw Nate Davis carry drills over from practice and technique over from practice to the game. They worked on Mike Vrabel mentioned this during his presser. On Monday before that game, I went over and I watched that offensive line. That's all I watched that whole day. They, they had a whole day of individual period. That's all I watched. And they consistently worked on 
like as if an offensive lineman was getting beat and having to reset your hands and then drop your anchor to keep him from getting to your quarterback. And that's exactly what Nave Davis did in some of the uh, situations he was in. Drew Grady Jarrett a few times as well. So he did a good job, man. Uh, overall offensive line rotating in and out, you know, um, they they did an excellent job. However, let's look at this Bills defense. Uh, we're going to look at those guys real quick. And I, I think, you know, Star Lutalele, he's a guy out of Utah. Uh, he was with the Panthers for a bit, but he is a force to be reckoned with inside. He's so stout at the point of attack. He's quick. There are times where, you know, he's able to use his strength, but he also uses his quickness. Those guys on the inside will definitely have their hands full going against Lutalele. And they have Ed Oliver also who who gets some time, and that's someone who Mike Vrabel worked with a lot at his pro day. I know the Titans were interested in him. They even talked about being able to move him to outside linebacker. And Vrabel, when he spoke on Wednesday, when I asked him about Oliver, he mentioned that versatility and the ability to drop back, which is something that they do even from the D-tackle position. They'll drop him back into those passing lanes. So it's always an advantage to have an athlete like that. So make sure you watch 91 and then – Taylor Lewan is back, right? The free Taylor shirts have, you know, come to fruition. He he's been freed and he's back in the in the facility. He's going to draw a matchup with uh, Jerry Hughes. That's going to be something to watch. Also, you have a guy who's able to you know condense himself coming off that edge. He's a shorter pass rusher, a smaller guy, but size is not a skill. In fact, he could use that to his advantage. So I'm going to be watching that matchup as well. Another thing just to, to look at is Deion Lewis. I know you won't find too much of a bigger advocate of Derrick Henry's than, than mine. You know, there's a table in the other studio that, that is still crying because it was getting pounded when I stressed giving him the football. But that being said, I really think they need to get Lewis involved catching the ball out of the backfield. And they could get him matched up against Milano number 58, the inside backer, I think they have something to work with. And watching, especially the Patriots, they really use James White, and he abused Milano a few times. So that's something I think the Titans will need to go to. Uh, as far as the corner, Trey Davis White, listen, he was one of my top corners in that draft class. Uh, Dory Jackson was drafted in that class as well. But uh, I, I think Trey Davis is an outstanding player. Going to wrap it up with the safeties, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. They are very similar to what the Titans have in Kenny Vaccaro and Kevin Byard, and that they're so interchangeable. Poyer has a bit of, uh, I think, yeah, Poyer, he has some corner background. So that's going to be, uh, you know, interesting to see if they match him up with a Delaney Walker or a Janu. But this defense overall is outstanding, and they had Tom Brady a little fluxing <laughs> to make up a word. Uh, last last week. So don't be surprised if this is a low-scoring game from the offense. That's pretty much it from this side of things. We're going to go to a break. We'll come back and we'll talk a little defense and get into it. We'll be right back. Artificial intelligence AI. is taking over the world. How can I help you today? So put it to work for you. Your appointment is at 9 a.m. Ask Alexa to enable 1025 The Game. Okay. Once enabled, Alexa, play 1025 The Game. The future is here. Let me help you with that. Ask Alexa to enable 1025 The Game. This is Corey Davis. Are you talking with TD? Sub no. 
That's right, that's right. Back from the break, talking with TD. As you hear, shut him down from DMX. That's what this Titans defense did last week to the Falcons. That's what they need to do this week to the Bills. I don't think it should be a tough assignment for them to do so. However, before we move on to week five, let's put a bow around week four and what the defense did. Man, they held that Falcons offense to 10 points. 10. Julio Jones, 52 yards receiving. And I tell you what, that darn Adoree Jackson, Adoree, shout out to you. You played like you had some motivation. I was really impressed with how aggressive Adoree was. And it started right from the front. And I, I'm, I'm glad Mike Vrabel noticed it too because I asked him, I said, Coach, it seemed like Adoree played with a lot more aggression. He smiled and he nodded his head right back at me. So that was definitely noticed. Now it's just about carrying it over. It was like that from the start. He had that, that PBU. Uh, Calvin Ridley, and he let Calvin. Adore doesn't normally talk too much trash now, but he let he let he let Ridley know. You know what I mean? He told him that about the breakup. So that's progress. Kenny Vaccaro playing in the box. I've always said, and it's, I'm curious. I want to ask. I'm going to ask Kenny just out of curiosity, man. If you weren't playing ball, what would you be doing? Because he comes across to me like a dude that would be a Marine. You know what I mean? Just the way he's just all out. 100% doesn't give a daggone about his body. He would come across to me as a guy who would be a Marine. But anyway, looking at this game, there were a few times, especially that fourth down, where he knifed in there and he got a hand on, on I think it was Freeman, and then Jarrell Casey cleaned it up and, and it forced a turnover on downs. The Falcons were going for it a few times, uh, and they weren't successful. That defense balled out, man. Rashawn Evans, yeah. Sean's the real deal. A guy who chases horses to work on his athleticism and agility. He got to chase a few horses on Sunday, and I'm sure he'll be chasing another one this upcoming Sunday, Frank Gore. We're going to get into Gore a little bit, too. Um, Wesley Woodard played outstanding football as well. So a few guys I wanted to shout out. Harold Landry, two sacks. Kudos to him. Jarrell Casey posted his first sack. It was a sack strip. I really was curious what happened on that play. I mean, he had the trifecta, a sack, a strip, and recovered it. Awesome job by Jarrell Casey. Let's see what he had to say about that. What I would call a trifecta. So so on this play, we had a a play called uh, Safety Dog 1 where we had to slant. And when I slanted inside, I seen the center coming towards me. And so in that play, I supposed to stay inside the center on front side of his face. And I see it's now pass and not run. Mm-hmm. So at this moment, it's time for me to transfer into the pass rush. So you see, I knock his arms down. I get between him and the guard. And so I see Matt Ryan thinking he's about to throw the ball, wanted to reach for it. And out of nowhere, he tucks it back down when he see me. And when, once he done that, by him bringing the ball down, allows me to get the swipe what I've been trying to get before he's about to release the ball. And as you know, comes out. Next you know, one of my teammates, I see them about to come and recover it, and the ball get kicked right back into my stomach, and I just drop back down and recover the ball. What goes on at the bottom of those of those piles? Man? How, how violent is it? 
Um, sometimes it can get very nasty because everybody pulling and tugging on the ball. That one wasn't as bad because it was a clear recovery, so guys kind of gave up on it pretty quick. So it kind of like saved me trouble of having to fight for it, but it can get nasty down there. That time it was me just yelling at all my teammates, get the heck off me because I knew we had recovered it. But it, was definitely, it definitely get nasty under there. And you had mentioned that Matt Ryan, he put the ball back down. Were you surprised that, that he chucked it? Or? Oh, definitely. I, most most guys are going to let that thing fly and let it, let it be incomplete or let the outcome be what it is. But he tried to escape, and with two more guys coming from off the outside, which was pretty impressive. And, you know, um, thank the Lord the ball came out when it got to him. And then your short area of quickness as well as acceleration, that always shows coming off the ball. But here, you did a good job just kind of turning that corner and, and tracking him down. How do you develop that skill to that level that you have? Honestly, God gifted, man. Honestly, God gifted. Everything I work on is always explosiveness in the, in the weight room and quick twitch. Like, yeah, that, that plays a part because obviously if you work on those smaller muscles and things like that helps, but it was God gifted. Gotcha. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So that was Jarrell Casey. And I, I definitely, like I said, I, I think, if he could get things going as well, this defense will really be something. Cameron Wake had the hamstring. We'll see if he comes back. But he remains right there neck and neck with Harold Landry as their top. Well, you know what? I'm not even going to say neck and neck. Cam Wake, my bad. I ain't mean to disrespect you like that. Cam Wake is their top pass rusher. He's a guy who's done it consistently. Harold Landry is still coming up. But still, I think between those two, they have good options. Sharif Finch, I felt he should have been active. It was a coach's decision. That's on Coach Rabel. They still got outstanding play from their outside backers. Kamale Correa continued to just be a, a presence. Reggie Gilbert. Now, it's funny because a lot of you guys haven't seen what Reggie Gilbert looks like, but I, I don't know. Every time I see this dude in the locker room, I'm just thinking like, yo, that's the RZA. He looked like a, a souped-up version of the RZA from Wu-Tang. I, I don't know. Maybe because it's Wednesday and I'm it's Wu Wednesday for me. I'm, I got the Wu Tang on my mind. But he played like he was all over the place. So I definitely think they still got good play. You have to have Finch active, though. I, I don't give a daggone. Finch needs to be active. So I'm not going to blow the whistle on Coach Ray before that one. But I, I thought about it. I thought about it. But as they get ready for this, this Bills offense, man. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having having to be able to choose between Josh Allen or Matt Barkley. It, quite frankly, neither one of them, in my opinion, are a threat. And I know Josh Allen could throw the football 70 yards. That's great. But if you can't throw the football 70 yards and, and hit the side of the barn that you want to hit, what does it matter? I'm not here to trash Josh Allen. I'm just here to tell you that I don't think his accuracy is really up to par. Just my perspective. He turns the football over a lot, too. He will fumble the football. He will throw interceptions. The Titans weren't able to get a turnover from him last year. But this year's team is a lot different as far as their ability to generate turnovers. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Matt Barkley. I mean, it's Matt Barkley. You know, I really don't know what to say about Barkley. Um He's managed to stay in the league, so I'll give him credit for that. But I don't see him as, as a threat at all. So passing-wise, now watch now watch one of them come out and throw for 300 yards. You know what I mean? It's just the way this league, this league is crazy. But passing-wise, I don't think that there's really much to worry about. Zay Jones, however, I will say, Zay Jones is a receiver I really like coming out of ECU. Very polished. He's a, a solid route runner. 
he's a lot, to be honest. You guys have watched Zay Jones play a lot because you watch Tajay Sharp. They're essentially the same player, in my opinion. I think Zay is a little bit better after the catch, but to me, they're the, they're the same player. Um, when you look at, at Cole Beasley, you actually have seen him play four times this year because you saw Adam Humphreys. Cole Beasley got a rap album coming out, by the way, or out already. That's just amusing to me, but... Still, I, I think Beasley has some of that shiftiness. Uh, John, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, 15, Dagoma. What's what's his name? Uh, John Brown. He still has some gas. He could get down the field. But I really don't think they have anything to be concerned about in the passing game. Dawson Knox had a, a no, I guess we're talking with TD. But he had a great play, uh, I think it was against, last week, against the Patriots where he was able to, you know, break a couple tackles and he stiff-armed somebody into – Week five, it was a great stiff arm. So he's coming back, though, right? You know, he's a Nashville product. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, Mike Vrabel was actually on on Wednesday, very very complimentary of Dawson Knox, and he's he's an option teammate of of AJ Brown's at Ole Miss. So I, I think you know Dawson Knox could possibly be a factor in this game, but it's just going to depend on because you know last week the tight end Austin Hooper was a factor. And I felt that he was going to be a factor because they were going to do so much to shut down the receivers. Someone was going to come open and someone was going to be a a weapon in the passing game. This week, I don't think you have to do as much to shut down these guys. I don't think there will be a a, a number 11 jersey swap, right? I I don't think A.J. Brown wants Zay Jones' jersey. You know what I mean? So I I don't think there's really much to worry about from a, a passing perspective. Now, running the football. Boy, I tell you what, there aren't many running backs in the history of the NFL that I love to watch more than Frank Gore. I was a 49ers fan coming up, and, uh, you know, Frank Gore, he's he's just a pro. That dude has the ability to just kind of, he's like a cat, right? You ever see a cat that goes like in motion and action, right? If a cat could get his head through through a hole, the rest of his body is coming too. And that's how Frank Gore is. He could he could just find just the slightest crease, break a tackle, and and be gone. He had a hundred yard game against the Patriots. Frank Gore is legit. Mike Vrabel said that it's an honor to be able to coach against a pro and actually be able to uh, play against a future Hall of Famer. That is so that that's something that you know you got to watch. Frank Gore, and he can still catch the ball to the backfield. And I tell you what, I'm going to talk to Rashawn Evans. I'm going to talk to Jayon Brown. Wesley Woodard probably already knows, but I'm going to tell them, listen, if Dean Pease asks you to spike those gaps, be on your P's and Q's because Frank Gore will flip the heck out of you. That dude, hot take right here, and I'm not full of hot takes, but I'm going to give you one. I don't think there's a better back in the history of the NFL. That's right. Not a better back in the history of the NFL when it comes to pass block, especially picking up the blitz. Frank Gore is top shelf from that perspective. And I'm not alone in that. I've I've talked to multiple players and coaches about that, and they share that, that, that sentiment. So Frank Gore is definitely someone that we want to talk about. Uh, offensive line-wise, Deion Dawkins going against Sharif Finch. That's going to, you know, the Temple guys. 
right? That's going to be good. See who is more Temple tough. He's a left tackle too, so I would expect Finch to be able to, you know, go against him because he works on the right side a lot, provided that he's active. And then you have the homecoming to Quentin Spain. This is the one time, this is going to be the first time Corey Davis and Quentin Spain are on the field together, and Corey Davis doesn't have to worry about scoring a touchdown and having the ball launched into the stands. That's a good thing. You guys know Quentin Spain, Q, he had a tendency to do that, and it was always when Corey Davis scored against the, uh, what was that, against the the uh, Patriots. He did that, and then he did that against the against the Eagles on Corey Davis's game-winning touchdown. So a couple times that happened. But Spain, I think, is in the right situation with the Bills. They're not a zone scheme. They they run a lot of power, and it's just a, a, a man-on-man, I'm going to move you and open up a hole. I think that scheme is more conducive to his skill set. But overall, I do not feel that offense is going to be able to consistently move the ball, let alone score against the Titans' defense, who I think after that 10-point that ten point outing last week, they should probably be top five in points allowed. Uh, they are they are top five. I know the Patriots, are they fifth? Okay, Calvin with the save there. Um, I, I know the Patriots are first at like 9.8. Man, the win was no joke. No joke. But fortunately, the Titans don't have to face them. We'll see maybe if they make the playoffs. Playoffs? Yeah, I'm saying if they make the playoffs, you never know. The division is 2-2, two two, so we'll see what happens there. But I'm pretty much talked out when it comes to the defense. I, I think it's going to be, like I said, a solid outing. We're going to go to a break. You know what time is going to be when we come back. Calvin's Corner. Hey, Nashville. This is Jeff Fisher, and you're listening to Nashville's best sports talk, ESPN 1025 The Game. I just woke up, and I said... Yes. Waiting around, through ups and downs, waiting on something to happen. I just said, That's right. Every day is a good day. We subscribe to the No Bad Days idea. Talking with TD back from the break, Calvin's Corner. Every day is a good day, especially when things go Calvin's Corner's way. <laughs> What's up, man? <laughs> man, I'm just so happy with that Falcons game because we finally saw a Marcus Mariota that is very conducive to the style of football that I love to see. And that's just perfect because I come in here and I preach the pass all the time because <laughs> I love the efficiency of that. But the main impediment a lot of the times this season has not been Arthur Smith. It's been Marcus Mariota. And just kind of the indecisiveness and the lack of confidence in his throws, not even going on the analytics, just what you see looking at him. Mm -hmm. But this guy we saw in week four against the Falcons was a completely different player than we saw in the first three weeks. I've talked about time to throw in the last few episodes when we've talked about Marcus Mariota, and he's been hovering around three seconds. And quite frankly, that's just too long. Three seconds in the NFL is an eternity to be sitting in the pocket or running around with the ball in your hands. That doesn't correlate well to long-term success in the passing game because you're just you're letting you're not you're letting too much develop in front of you. It means you're probably missing windows, and it certainly gives the defense more time to get to you. Mm-hmm. So in the NFL, the average is around 2.6 ish seconds. Well, Marcus Mariota in Week Four 
his time to throw was about two and a half seconds. So he shaved off a half a second on average. That's incredible. And I think that speaks to confidence and conviction he had. You talked about his great throw to Corey Davis where he kind of threw the guy open on that out route that led to the 23-yard touchdown, right? 23 Uh yards? Uh Uh-huh. That's different. It, the ball came out quicker. He felt like it seemed like he felt he knew when Corey Davis was going to cut, where he was going to be, and Davis did it, and it worked perfectly. Yeah, he threw on, to a spot. On that. Yes, and he, on on some of those other plays similar to that throughout the year, I think we've seen some like kind of misses. There was the muni- miscommunication with Tajay Sharp, just a couple other things where he hasn't really seemed on the yeah, same page. As Corey Davis on a deep outbreak. Yeah, exactly. And I think that can be reflected in time to throw because of indecisiveness. But that's the first thing that stood out with Marcus Mariota was just a different presence in the game. But then there's a new website out there called NoCheckdowns.com. And it's <laughs> it's a, it's like brand new for this NFL season. Well, I tell you. <laughs> but they, they have a lot of new quarterback metrics that are out there. And they are really good at tracking accuracy because they pull from data sources that track these things like Sports Info Solutions and stuff like that. And they can track accuracy and boil it down to a percentage. So on the season, Marcus Mariota has been slightly below average, maybe slightly above average in terms of their accuracy rankings. Mm. But in week four against the Falcons, this guy was accurate on over 90% of his passes. That's huge. That's sky high. That's tops in the league, and nobody on the season is has been at that level over the course of four weeks. It's incredibly unsustainable, but mm-hmm. for one week, one flash in the pan, it's absolutely fantastic. And somehow... Some way, Marcus Mariota was a completely different quarterback in Week Four against the Falcons. I think a lot of that had to do with the defense the Falcons were playing. Oh my goodness! I mean, it, that I was really sitting there questioning, like, why? Why do they keep coming out like this? But that's beside the point. And the receivers, there was this kind of mindset where they were going to be able to do their thing from the start. Mm-hmm. And we've been preaching it here on this show. We think guys like Corey Davis can really play. They finally got a chance to show that, and it was spearheaded, of course, by their quarterback who put them in positions to win because of seemingly a newfound confidence that was reflected in his time to throw. And I think it's no surprise he was more accurate because of that. Now, let me ask you, I don't know if you have this off the top, but how were the air? I don't remember seeing too many balls travel that far in the air, but how were the air yards in that? The air yards were basically on on pace with what he'd been doing for the rest of the season. Nothing that was like... Crazy high. I have right in front of me his passes beyond the first down yardage markers, mm-hmm, the passes mm-hmm. beyond the sticks, which is a great way to kind of look at how the offense is attempting to move the ball downfield based on the first down marker, which obviously influences your play call a lot. He was actually below his season average on passes beyond the first down markers. Mm-hmm. Only by two passes. He threw 22 passes beyond the first down markers. Mm-hmm. But that's... Certainly not even anywhere close to tops in the NFL. I tell you, it was interesting though. One of those was on a third and fifteen, and we talked about it. It was a third, about a thirteen-yard pass, yeah, on the money that allowed yep. him to catch and turn upfield, yep, immediately. Not now, right now, yeah. on that on that situation, and they end up getting the first down. Yep. Uh, I the reason why I asked about the air yards is because, granted, the execution. Was on Mariota. He executed. Yeah. But I really feel strongly Arthur Smith, I think, should be in this equation just because of the fact that a lot of these, like, you saw more three step. 
Yeah, yeah. And and the thing was like that Corey Davis one, literally one, two, three, throw. Yeah. It was literally like yeah. that. And it was on Corey Davis. And like David said, man, I got to win immediately yeah. Yeah. on the route. I'm not taking anything away from, from Mariota, but I, I really think that if, if Arthur Smith can dial up plays like this mm-hmm. to kind of get that process going much faster yep. for Mariota. I don't think Mariota's not that guy to drop back, and I'm not going to say Drew Brees because that going nobody's like Drew Brees, right? He's a surgeon. Most of them aren't, but he's not that guy to drop back and work through progressions and make and make work. And I'm not saying one or two. I'm talking about guys that work through three, yeah, and come back to one. Mm-hmm. He's not that guy. He is best in a fast pace. Like Mario, Mariota to me is like Russell Westbrook. You know that type of point guard that has to operate uh-huh. on a fast fast yep. pace. He's not a Jason Kidd who could just yes. you know. So that's just me, but I I definitely think Mariota was was outstanding. And what I think that's really important to think about classifications of quarterbacks, like we're talking about here. Like there are guys who are surgeons, the Tom Brady's, the Drew Brees's, but some guys are like Lamar Jackson and Marcus Mariota aren't similar quarterbacks. I don't really think, but they do share the similar qualities. The guys can just go make plays, yeah. and they're quick, yep. and they're just reactive, instinctive athletes, and athletes beyond the perspective of being able to run really fast. Athletes like Kyler Murray, guys who just make plays because it just seems like it runs through their veins. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, they're also that way, but very different in terms of they can just process through things mm-hmm. and incredibly higher level in their brain. And Arthur Smith, I think now that they have this continuity, because there was certainly a feeling out process between an offensive coordinator and a quarterback, and you kind of have to see it happen and play it out through the course of a couple weeks. And if they can build on this from right now, then they're on a great pace for the the rest of the season. The Bills are going to prove to be a great challenge for Mm -hmm. can they do what they want to do. This may have to be a grind-em-out game. They're going to play good coverage in the secondary. Ed Oliver and company, those guys are probably going to be able to get after Mariota. How quickly does he react and just get the ball out there to guys who can play in space? Yeah, that is going to be a key. And as you start to really employ this quick passing game and hit those quick slants, hit those RPOs, which basically is a slant or a in, quick in-breaking route, I hit those speed outs, those type of things, then teams start to adjust, and that's when you adjust to the adjustment. Mm-hmm. And this is something I wrote about in my winning formula for the Titans offense that came out on Monday, is what you have to do is be able to now convert those quick-hitting routes into double moves. And you yep. could still do, it would probably be five-step, right? So, in essence, the three-step throw to Corey Davis. Mm-hmm. Three-step, Corey Davis breaks it out, pump fake, to get that safety, you know, if there's a safety up top, you want to get yep. him, and then you throw it up top. Yeah. I, I also see how that could work really, really well with A.J. Brown because he's made such a killing with his yak. Mm-hmm. Guys are like, hey, you got to get on him quick. They're yep. going to try to give him the ball. Yep. He's in space. He hits him with a double move. Down the field, there he goes. Yep. Totally different type of athlete. Totally yeah. different because he's not as athletic as Odell. Yes. Yes. Not nearly, but that was something with Odell. It, it would be – you got to stay on top of him. Yep. He's going to catch that slant. You got to get on top of him. You give him that crease, he's gone. Oh, yeah. So now all of a sudden the safety starts inching up, right? You throw that, yep. you pump fake that slant. He explodes up, up the seam. Now you got the slow go seam, and it's it's a big play mm-hmm. that way also. Other thing 
with Corey Davis. They always like to use, and even Humphreys for that matter, they like to work that receiver screen. One, two, three, or even catch, pump fake. Yep. The the slot receiver that's supposed to come out and, and block that corner over top of Corey, come out like you're going to block, dip that shoulder, release right up the sideline. Yep. Now you got something else going. Yep. So there are different ways to out and up. There are different ways that you could play off of that, but you have to establish something first. Yeah. And I think it's it's important to note here with Mariota and with what he did in week four. The accuracy accuracy stuff probably isn't gonna happen again. Right? There's ninety percent. Yeah, I mean that's that's just unrepeatable on a consistent basis. Drew Brees doesn't even put up those numbers, and he's probably the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Drew Brees in the past has been around 80 to 85%, and that's Hall of Fame level. Yeah. We know Marcus Mariota is not that guy. So there's going to be some regression there, but there are ways to work around it, like we're talking about how you get the ball out quick and just keep a repeatable process of what mm-hmm. Mariota is good at because he's not going to be accurate like that again. Yep, that's really the bottom line. Make the offense Marcus Mariota friendly. That's all you got to do, and that's what they did in week four. We'll see what what they do in week five because, hey, listen, I don't care if the offense is Marcus Mariota friendly. That Bill's defense is not. So (laughs) we'll see what happens in that case. Calvin, I'm glad that you brought this up because that was an awesome Calvin's corner. I really think that Mariota and Arthur Smith are going to be able to build upon that We'll see how well in week five. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Amen. We're going to go to a break, and we'll be right back. For Morning Drive with Nick Kale, Braden Gall, and Derek Mason. He needs to be the driving force. Darren and Donick with Darren McFarland and Willie Donick. They've been talking about this all year. Jared and the GM with Jared Stillman and Floyd Reese. You can't have it without the players wanting to be what they are. No one covers your teams like Nashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. This is Corey Davis. Are you talking with TD? Once again, we have MOBB. Um. Yeah. Uh-huh. Back from the break to some MOBB. D E E P. Mob D. Got it twisted. I tell you one thing the Titans don't have twisted, and that's the formula for winning. Complimentary football is what they have to do. That defense playing the way that they were, the offense, we, we broke it down on Calvin's corner, what they need to do there. And that setup was perfect because in the fourth quarter, we're going to bring in the lefty, the guy with a lot of heat. That's Derrick Henry. And, uh, you know, he had 10 qu- carries in the fourth quarter, ended up going over 100 yards rushing for the first time. Shout out to Henry for that. 895 yards, I believe it is, in the last nine games. No running back has had more than that. That formula on offense is exactly what they want to do. They jumped out to an early lead, 14-7. to They played, I'm not going to say conservative, but they continue to, you know, build upon that. Let the defense shut the Falcons' offense down. Fourth quarter, we're going to nurse the lead, and that's what they did. Excellent job there. However, the third phase of that is something that I really is – think is a crime that's not being talked about and I mean he was the preseason MVP listen I think he may be a candidate for MVP so far as well and that's that daggone Brett Kern let me tell you something five times he pinned the Falcons inside the 20 yard line 
two times. Once they were on the second, the two-yard line, the other time, they, I believe, was the five-yard line. That dude right there, and we had him on talking with TD last year. We talked about how the punting game was very similar to golf, and he was discussing how he puts different spins on the ball to make it bounce. That dude, he's the real deal, man. He is the real deal. I, I definitely tip my cap to Brett Kern. So that's the third part of complimentary football. I think they have that formula set up. One thing that I, I think needs to be added into that is Delaney Walker. I think they need to get him a few more touches. But that's kind of nitpicking. Regardless, Delaney Walker, 500 receptions. He he had he reached that plateau. So shout out to Delaney for doing that. That's the good part of it. We talk mostly positive about that that game against the uh the the Falcons, but there was something that I think we might have to uh blow the whistle about and I'm sure you guys know where I'm going. I think at the end of the day it is good that he said that given another situation, another opportunity, another crack at it, he would do things a little bit differently. However, Calvin, let me get that music. Too short. So you know what time it is. Man, that's what happened. They came up too short. Just like the guy who sings this song. Fourth and one, daggone it. You're up by two touchdowns. Fourth and one. You're in field goal range. Man, let that little horse jockey go out there and make make a field goal, man. Get Carol Santos out there. Let him kick that field goal. Make it a three-score game. Mike Vrabel, I love you, boss, but I'm blowing the whistle on you for that one. Fourth and one, uh-uh, don't go for it. Don't go for it. Go ahead and get those points because I will tell you, the few Falcons fans that were in that stadium, they got some energy. The Falcons got some energy. Fortunately, the Titans' defense still has some energy, and they stopped the Falcons. But I tell you, if they they'd have scored on that drive, answered that that forcing the, the Titans to to turn over on downs and and scored on that drive, we might not have the same energy this game or this hey, this game this this uh this show. So, Coach Rabel, I'm blowing the whistle on you this week. That's the show, folks. I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. Be sure to get your tickets, TennesseeTickets.com. No extra fees or anything like that, unlike the other sites that you go to. Come tailgate with me on Sunday before the Bills game. Also, make sure you tune in to Chase and TD with Calvin Smith behind the board. Shout out to Calvin. I appreciate you for everything you do. We'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in. God bless and good night.